All right, what's up to all the cinephiles out there? Welcome to another episode of the Marquee Spotlight, coming to you from the always sunny Portland, Oregon. I am your host, Spencer Bailey, and I'm here with my co-host. She's the only person I would drive a convertible off the cliff of the Grand Canyon with, <laughs> Chelsea Burnett. Um, hello, Spencer. It's so good to be here and um, actually feeling kind of, uh, I, well, this will be my big announcement to uh, the, the podcast fans that I am expecting and it feels so fun to have my own little alien brewing inside of me. Uh, <laughs> so um, uh, just perfect timing here to be talking about a great, a uh, great film and uh, filmmaker. Did you just invertently call your husband a face hugger? <laughs> He'd probably love actually to be compared to something mo- like cool and sci-fi monstrous like that. <laughs> well, that does bring us to a mar- the spotlight topic of the episode. Uh, we're doing a complete retrospective on Ridley Scott, very much the same way we did David Fincher and Val Kilmer. Uh, both of us are definitely fans of Ridley Scott. I, I think you would have to be uh, an insane human being to not say he's one of the most important directors of all time. But Chelsea, this was your like kind of idea. Like you really were like pushing, Hey, I want to do in 2022, I want to do a Ridley Scott episode. So uh, we're definitely going to get into why you were so passionate about that and why I also love Ridley Scott. Our initial plan with this episode was to just go right into it. But unfortunately we had some terrible news this week that I'm just cannot, mm. you know, move on without bringing up. Uh, we lost James Caan, and he was 82, uh, which I guess is not young, but these days is not that old either. Um, he was a just terribly, terribly underrated actor who I never really felt like got enough recognition. And he did get recognition, but I, I don't I don't think people fully appreciated what a good actor James Caan was, how versatile he was, and how deep he could he could he could he could give depth to his characters with very subtle like aspects of mm-hmm. his acting and was so good at being vulnerable when he doesn't always give off the outward appearance of a vulnerable person um i'm just so bummed oh my gosh and also i um i can't remember if when in our last episode we talked about Ray Liotta passing did we talk about James Conn making a comment about yes that, that and- was one of the first tweets i saw was James Conn who was a very active tweeter by the way uh he just wrote no not ray and that was it i know and how spooky that then you know within um, a couple of months now he, uh, we've lost him but uh I was actually talking to Micah about um, James Conn on our walk this morning, and he's like, who's he again? And I was like, well, you know, Godfather. But I was like, probably best known for playing Buddy the Elf's real dad. Yeah. And then um, Micah gave me a good chuckle. He's like, that was funny, Chelsea. You need to say that on the podcast. <laughs> but, um, but no, I, I I, mean, he's also Brian's song, right? That, oh, yeah. My, one of my dad's favorite films, I remember. Or, and I think it was a TV movie. but It was. Um, it was. Uh, and uh, there's a uh, oddly enough I actually literally just added it to um, a watch list for myself waiting for it to come up on one of the streaming services uh, is uh, I think it's called Cinderella Liberty my mom recommended that film to me I think came out in the have you heard of it no I haven't yeah um, she recommended it a while ago to me and something triggered my memory to want to watch it Um, so I think I'm really going to seek it out um now uh just to fully appreciate the man's uh work body of work 
Well, yeah, I mean, he was also in was Funny Girl. Mm-hmm. I mean, and, um, you know, of course, Misery, which mm-hmm. I actually just watched earlier this week, uh. and then he died like two days later. Um, he's really good in Misery. And then I, I think the movie has really gained steam in recent years, but Michael Mann's like first real big motion picture, um, Thief. Yeah. Which is a really underrated movie. And I want to watch it again. I remember really liking it the first time I watched it. But I find that with Michael Mann movies, sometimes you really need to watch it twice to fully appreciate it. So I, I was planning on watching Thief again soon. I remember it was beautifully shot, but Khan is so good in Thief. Um, and if, so if you haven't seen Thief, I, I highly recommend it. I'm going to watch it this week. But uh, yeah, that's just a bummer. He uh, he was a great uh, personality. Uh He's a hilarious guy. I, mm-hmm. I, I really encourage everyone just to go Google James Caan quotes because they're all hilarious. Uh, he also did a, an interview with Mark Marin last year. And Mark Marin usually reposts interviews when someone passes away. So look out for that. He might repost it. Hilarious interview because James Caan, he's at a 10 all the time. He never <laughs> slows down. He's a funny guy. Oh, I will, I will find that interview too. I, I hope he does repost it. Um and uh, yeah, I just I think you you really hit the nail on the head with kind of your description of what kind of a performer he was. And even in something as maybe what could be deemed as silly in, in a movie like Elf, I still think he's giving it his all and, and really, Absolutely. I think, shows what uh, what he was capable of and what made him a compelling performer. And um, and his son uh, was Scott. is in. Oh, yeah. In the oceans films which i he, he and casey affleck are the brothers the Mormon right? brothers, the, yeah yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah so um cool can carrying on his hollywood legacy there yep so james con you will be missed uh i'm gonna watch thief this week for you um okay well let's get in our transition into our spotlight topic so ridley scott um as i said at the top Huge Ridley Scott fan. Chelsea, you are too, but this was your idea. So please take it away. Why were you so passionate about doing a Ridley Scott episode? Sure. Okay. I think there are kind of two moments that I can look back on that kind of started making me look at him in a in in a, a serious, like, uh, movie lover way. Um, and really, I mean, meeting my husband, Micah, and uh, he, Blade Runner is, is, up there, I, I think, as maybe his number one favorite film. Uh, and I, I'm so embarrassed to admit that when I have sat down to watch it with him the first few times, I I think just it, it lulled me to sleep because of how atmospheric the movie is. If you, <laughs> uh, but I said, you know, I I know how important this film is. Just not only Micah, but so many people and I really want to sit through and see it uh you know see it through the whole way I'm I will not allow myself to fall asleep give me all the caffeine and I did finally I was so happy to finally make it through and it was such a rewarding experience um I did that recently but anyway so I would say that was kind of when I Ridley Scott really first came on my radar as being a filmmaker that I know is really important to people um, was just talking to Micah about why he loves Blade Runner so much. And then I would say when I finally saw um, Thelma and Louise, um, I, I it was just within the last couple years. And I thought like, this is wow. Like how, how I can't, I can't peg, peg this guy. Like what is his style? What drives him? What, um, what, 
uh, inspires him to make films, what draws him to certain scripts. And um, it just kind of made me want to go in deeper and, and better understand him. And it's been a really uh, fun journey, just kind of trying to better understand the man since then. And then um, I think to cap it all off, maybe what what really inspired me asking you if we could do an episode about him was just the buzz that he created um, in the midst of this kind of just like dull landscape of cinema after the pandemic. He, with two films that came out last year with House of Gucci and The Last Duel, I think created some of the most interesting dialogue that was out there about um, about Oscar Beatty films at the time. And uh, I, I just, I think that's pretty impressive. And it's uh, really cool to just see this man's output um, what he has an incredible work ethic. And, um, so we have a lot to discuss today. No, for sure. Uh, I totally agree with everything you said. Uh, I thought, I, I think it's really interesting what you said about his films from last year, creating that discussion. Um, yeah, his versatility is, is incredible. Um, and sometimes it's for better for, it's sometimes for the better and sometimes for the worse. Uh, I, I think I've, I've said it on this show before, uh, I believe our Halloween episode, um, the man has made three of the greatest movies of all time. Mm-hmm. Uh, then he's made some fun, good movies. And he's made some movies that were like, man, what are you doing? This is <laughs> awful. <laughs> <laughs> and so his versatility is, you know, it, it's to his benefit and to, uh, to his detriment at times. But it's just, you're right. He, he doesn't have a lane. What does make him pick his grips? I don't know. But, you know, bringing up Thelma Louise, the one thing that I always appreciated about him um, is he's so, him, him and James Cameron are two directors that I always think about that are really good at having strong women characters mm-hmm. and just doing women characters in general uh, the right way. And, and I always noticed that about Ridley, but, you know, reading about him to get ready for this, uh, you know, I read about how his father was in the military during World War II, and his mother was, uh, I don't want to say strict, but she was just very good at parenting those boys. Yeah. And they respected her, and he said, everything you see about the way I do women in movies, it all comes from my mother. hmm I did, okay, so I wanted to ask you, uh, have you ever seen, do you know how the Hollywood Reporter will do those roundtables with actors and directors, and um, have yeah. you ever seen... The, the one from 2016 with the director roundtable, it had Quentin Tarantino, Ridley Scott, Tom Hooper, Danny Boyle, uh, Alejandro Inuritu, and David O. Russell. I haven't seen it. Okay, cool. Because I have some fun, some fun things I learned, some great things I gleaned about Ridley Scott from from this roundtable, and um, I if. And one of them being he he was asked, uh, you know, it, it was kind of cute because there's all these Ridley Scott's kind of the elder statesman at this table and all of these uh, uh, directors are kind of bowing down to him. And he's just sitting there with a little bit of a smirk on his face and uh, trying to be humble and like, oh, pish posh. But uh, someone asked him, like, where truly Ridley, where do you get the energy to 
to do the, the the amount of work that you do. Like you never take breaks. You like Alejandro was saying how it almost killed him going from Birdman to making The Revenant, like because he made those films back to back. And he's like, I I need to take a long break after making The Revenant now. And uh, and so Ridley says, you know, I think I can credit my mom. Like I she and he loves to talk about she was only five feet tall and she was just <laughs> this little powerhouse. And he brought it up again in that interview with Mark Marin. But uh, yeah, I think he said he he gained he inherited his mother's strength, which I think is a really um, beautiful tribute to to her. And and yes, and I think he's he has channeled that too into the the female characters that you're talking about. But um, I uh, another thing he 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 credited to well. So then they're like, but no, but seriously, Ridley, do, do what do you what do you eat? How do you physically prepare? Like, do you eat healthy? Do you? <laughs> and he is just like, you take. He, I think he's just like, you all are thinking about this way too. Like, you're, you're putting too much uh, credit to that process. Like, he's like, what do, what do I eat? Uh, yogurt. He's like, I like a glass of red wine. But uh, he, uh, from this roundtable, I. I really got a better sense of his personality too. And uh, I I love how he is just a little wicked. He's very, he's very confident in his abilities, which I think makes for a very good director. I mean, once as embarrassing as this sounds, I had to Google once like, what is a director's job? Because <laughs> I just kind of wanted to know like when someone is nominated for best director at an awards show, kind of what that entails. And I, and then I kind of better understood that they're, they're just, you know, they make along with the producers with, with the funding and Ridley is a very prolific producer as well, which I think makes him a great director. Um, the director, you know, they, they have to oversee every freaking single element of the film from pre to post production. Um, they're ensuring that the art director, production designer, are following a clear vision along with what the sound mixers are doing and and everything. And I think it can all crumble if you have someone who's not um, confident in um, in themselves. And uh, and I think he is just truly a, a master at that. And I, I think a big part of that is his strong commercial background. Um, and he talks about how making commercials uh, helped him in when he made his first film because he it when you're working in a commercial world, uh, it's much more fast paced and you also have to be, you know, a very quick problem solver. And, um, so, uh, yeah, all, all in all, I just think it's, it's kind of refreshing to hear someone not be like faux humble. Like he, he is not, I'm not going to say he's like egotistical or anything, but he just, I think understands that he makes good work. He entertains people and yeah, at the end of the day, he says he has no regrets, which is also kind of interesting. And I wonder if he says he has no regrets is because he's made so many director's cuts of maybe the <laughs> movies that he was not so happy with how the he was, you know, strong-armed by studios, um, Blade Runner being a, a prime example. But, sure. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. And it's so funny you talk about his faux humble. I mean, we, we brought it up earlier in one of our episodes, but his interview with Mark Maron, which is such a good interview... And he 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 does cross this line, or he he toes this line. One minute, yeah, he's he seems very like down to earth and cool. But as they're going down his IMDb, even his not good movies, like he talks about his movies like somebody else made them. Like Mark would name a movie, and he'd be like, "Oh, it's a great movie." 
but uh yeah he started he started a production company really early with with tony scott his brother who tragically uh passed away a few years ago uh and then one of their other brothers and i i don't know if that product but they were just doing the commercials mm-hmm. and then i don't know if that production company morphed into scott free which is his his big production company now or if they started a new one but you're right they got into the once once they both made a name for themselves, him and Tony, uh, they they really expanded Scott Free and they just produce all their own movies, which I'm sure he he really likes. Yeah. <laughs> he doesn't have somebody telling him what to do. <laughs> I I've just um I'm completely gobsmacked by yes, his not his work ethic, but also just um how he um as a producer is so supportive of other voices and um is just uh putting out uh just helping you know put out tons of content and he in a interview i i saw with him and james cameron he said um you know and maybe he sounds a little bit like a cranky old man by putting saying it this way but he said you know people don't really read novels anymore people don't read books they're they're uh taking in film in the way people read books you know decades ago so but he said that can put a lot of pressure on directors to be creating good content. And in the, in the, um, in the Hollywood reporter Roundtable, he is, he keeps coming back to saying that there are too many directors working nowadays and just too much, too many movies are coming out. And it's just, it, it's like oversaturating the market and it's, it's just kind of cheapening everything is, was kind of his attitude. So I, it makes me think of maybe what he's doing as a producer is he's really trying to weed through what, what he finds to be, uh, worthwhile and, um, I know he also has has gotten into like TV um, as well with with the production producing that he's doing. So maybe he's also seeing like I'll channel some of this creative energy through TV if I feel like you know film is this kind of precious uh, product that I don't want tarnished anymore. So, but we'll, we can give more voices to people in the TV landscape. So um, yeah, I don't know. He's uh, he. I would love to just have. Um, have a meal with him. I love for him to be like my my uncle and and just like hear all of his stories and ask him questions and he can scoff at me if he thinks the questions are a little dumb, but I think he'd still answer them honestly and uh with with great great uh great wit. Yeah. Yeah, he is kind of a bristly guy and he even we'll get to it when we get to the last duel, but had kind of some some old man takes on some things when that movie came out. Um but talking about him and his brother, uh, you know, Tony Scott, also prolific director. But um, it's interesting, the dichotomy of, of their styles. Mm. And I, I don't know what drew Ridley to certain movies, what drew Tony to certain movies. Because, you know, one thing I will say about Tony and compared to Ridley is although Ridley's definitely got some movies that I'll raise an eyebrow and criticize the hell out of. Tony was pretty consistent. Uh, I, I think pretty much all of his movies are are pretty watchable except for uh the fan which is like really the only just straight up bad movie he ever made all of his other movies are, are at least entertaining you know but but they're also over the top and silly you know you got top gun and mm-hmm. well blast boy scout things like that but he also made crimson tide which is amazing uh i really like man on fire he, he great had a great relationship with denzel but he didn't he never made a gladiator you know yeah. he never made an alien he never made a, a blade runner he never made anything as grand as Kingdom of Heaven. 
So, so I, I don't know what causes that, but it is interesting that with Ridley, we have a brother who was also a famous director to kind of compare and contrast movies with, and they were just so different. Totally. And maybe some of that has to do with, uh, maybe, maybe Tony always saw that Ridley was the more auteur of the two of them. I mean, he Ridley, it sounds like brought Tony into the fold and, um, I'm not sure if he just didn't want to compete maybe with him on that kind of awards, uh, level. So, uh, uh, but I, I will say on that round table, it was, it was really, uh, charming to see the affection that I think Quentin Tarantino and, um, Ridley Scott had for each other. And there's a moment when, um, they're talking about great scripts and, um, Ridley points at Quentin and like it, I felt like in that moment, he was like, almost like paying homage to him to say like, you, you your script created this wonderful film that my brother directed in true romance and it was just a really i you know i i uh it's an hour long round table and it it is uh but it's really worthwhile it's just it's also really funny to see these men talking now with my 2022 perspective and they're all talking about films in 2016 and like tom hooper being there and it was before he went on to make cats and i'm kind of like what would these directors think about him making this really (laughs) ridiculous film later but um yeah uh it just uh it was charming to see see them all in that um uh, in that interview. All right. Well, Chelsea, do you have any other general uh, things about Ridley before we get into his filmography? Um, I think just, I also really like the way he talked about his process with, um, actors, um, because something that I picked up on and, and focusing on his filmography and rewatching and watching some of his films for the first time. Um, I always find that he gets, I feel that his actors just shine in in all in almost all of his films. Like they're getting to be their most humorous selves. They're they just are they seem so at ease. And it doesn't really matter what the time period of the film is, what whatever it may be, he he captures like a humanity in actors that I think is um really special. And he mentioned that um he, so he's very involved in the casting process, but um, he said that when he meets an actor, he doesn't want to talk about the script with them. He actually just wants to, uh, he said, I just want to get to know what makes them tick, you know, dude. <laughs> and, then, um, and so he likes, I think he just, I think he likes people. And um, I, what a theme, a common theme I've seen or thread through his his work is that I think he likes to see how people respond and extreme situations and i think just yeah i think uh behavior um and uh and exactly what he said what makes you tick i think that he's really interested in that um and that always seems to come through in in his work perfect all right with that we're going to take a quick break and we'll get back to dive into the filmography of ridley scott all right, here we go. Going into uh, Ridley Scott's filmography. And first up, his first major motion picture he ever made is a relatively, um, I don't want to say unknown, but a not really talked about movie called The Duelist, starring uh, Keith Carradine and uh, Harvey Keitel. Uh, stories about uh, two Frenchmen who perpetually, whenever they see each other, <laughs> are getting into, into duels, uh, sword duels mostly stemming from Harvey Keitel's side 
Um, but it's just, it's never ending. And there is a conclusion at the end of the movie, a resolution. Um, I like this movie and especially for it to be his first effort, I thought was really good. Mm-hmm. It is a little odd that it's a movie in 1800 or like 19th century France, uh, starring Keith Carradine, who's American and Harvey Keitel, who's making no effort to conceal his Brooklyn accent, um, <laughs> <laughs> surrounded by British people. Uh, but that being said, the movie is shot gorgeous. The uh, the costume design is incredible. The final shot uh, behind Carvey Cattell overlooking the, the French landscape was just, I just paused the movie. I was like, beautiful. Yeah, one of the duels um, that's like set in like, early morning kind of mist I remember and there's like this little castle in the background I was really um I was really taken by by that shot and I thought there was some really cool camera work at play too in that but yeah I think this is a really solid example of like a strong opening uh uh film for a director and um I think uh it kind of uh plants the seeds for what's to come and and I I I was surprised just how funny the movie was like I and I I think it was intentionally funny I think they were trying to um poke fun at how ridiculous uh uh you know, seeking revenge can be at times, or or holding a grudge more, uh, like this this just, this intense I grudge. Think a lot of it was held. pride too, and pride. Yeah, just how how yeah how pride just can make people act so foolish and and ridiculous at times. So um, yeah, uh, I nothing nothing bad against this movie. I think it, it it's I'm really happy that I, it even came on my radar because I wanted to. to uh, go through his filmography it's probably something that would have just slipped right by me but um totally totally worth a watch yeah i mean prior to this he had done a lot of commercials and some tv episodes and then for him to come out and do such a such a good job with this it's it's really speaks to his just natural abilities i think um a lot of like other nice choices there's some good music really good casting um throughout um, I think some of it, some of the movie kind of slows down, but there are scenes that they kind of need to be there, mm-hmm. but I don't know what you would do differently to make them seem less slow. Maybe, maybe shorten the movie a little bit. Um, but it's, it's, it's a, it's a good movie. Like I, if you're interested in really Scott's movie, his films at all, uh, I think we both definitely recommend like seek it out, watch it at least once. Yeah. Yeah. And I was able to watch it on Canopy, which I just think is such a cool app. If you have a library card, get the Canopy app. So many films at, uh, at your fingertips. Yep. So that was 1977. Um, and then just two years later, wow, his second movie ever, he makes the masterpiece that is Alien. And I, I, we dug into Alien a little bit on our Halloween episode, but um, this is this is seriously like one of my favorite movies of all time. Mm. And I, every time I watch it, I am just in awe of what he was able to accomplish. I can't believe he made this movie in 1979. Nothing about it looks like it was made in 1979, uh, except maybe there's the one really bad shot of the alien in the suit. But uh, uh, the... The intrigue and the building of suspense is is just, I, it's the pacing is perfect. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not too long. It's not too short. Everything builds up exactly the way it should. Um, and he did all this 
while producers were really pushing back on him, you know, he was really trying to stay in budget. He was trying to stay on time, but it was really hard to do. Um, and then, of course, this is the beginning of his uh, creating of strong female characters. Uh, famously in the script, there is no genders. It's just names. It's all the characters' names. So when he got the script, Ridley was whatever whatever he thought it should be, and he cast Sigourney Weaver, and the rest is history. Yeah. I I did not know that part of the, the story, and uh, I makes me just love it all the more for that reason. And I think Sigourney is giving a just such a powerful performance. I, I should have looked up how old she was, but I had a moment. She's in her 20s. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I had a moment watching it and I looked over Mike. I said, I bet you anything she was younger than we are now when she made this movie. And <laughs> the, but the, the force, uh, uh, behind uh, behind her and and that performance is really um it's just uh you know I'm in awe and I I think the whole the everyone was just cast so well so good yeah um we were sitting there Micah said God everyone's so much cooler in this than they are in Prometheus <laughs> he's like this crew you just care about so much more than you ever care about the crew in Prometheus not that there aren't things to love about Prometheus sure, we'll but get to it. um but yeah uh everyone was just jiving it seemed like very well um, yeah 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 every and but yeah you were talking about casting I mean Tom Skerritt was like this perfect like leader who's trying to do right uh and in the end you know got a little little too courageous Mm -hmm. getting him getting him killed um but sigourney weaver like so many like when she's trying to get around the ship and and and, uh avoid the alien like her her looks of just fear and i love when uh you think she gets away on the uh, the escape pod and the aliens on there's no music there's no real sound it's just you just got to sit there in this moment with her uh just all those little choices uh, making this movie, you know, I mean, it, it's not the first quote unquote sci-fi horror movie. Um, you know, the, uh, people talk about the original war of the worlds being very scary, even though it was in black and white, but there's just nothing like alien before alien came out. It, it was just such a trendsetter and just a, uh, just brilliant piece of film- filmmaking. I think it really, um, is a, a beautiful descendant of 2001, a space odyssey too. And, and, yeah. uh, and the, kind of a space ballet space opera to it all like the um the mo- my most recent rewatch of alien was the director's cut so i'm not sure if this is in the theatrical i can't remember i imagine it is i heard the director's cuts not too different from theatrical but anyway just that opening shot as they're all of their pods like their sleeping pods open um in the this the, the swell of the uh score i i really felt like i was like this seems like a ballet to me the way this is playing out and the the slow pans of the camera along the quiet ship uh before they all wake up uh it's um god you could just be uh i mean you can be lulled to sleep by it and that is not um i'm not it's not a knock against the movie because then it just when you need it to pick up, it does like the, the, the pacing and then, um, the, uh, the, the thrilling element of the story. And then, um, is, is really, um, yeah, it just, he knew exactly what buttons to press when they needed to be pressed. I also think it's pretty cool that he, I watched a very young interview of him, 
uh, after the movie came out and he reminds the journalist who's interviewing him that really there is only one one bloody moment in the in the movie like which is I guess the when the alien bursts out of John Hurt, um, yeah, John Hurt. and uh, a lot but he's like so many people refer to this movie as being gory and yes that is a, a gory horrific scene but it uh he, I think, is saying the gore is also what's alluded to throughout the rest of the movie. Which it's is kind always of yeah. the most successful horror movie element to mm-hmm. me is, is what you don't see. Yeah, yeah. Um, God, can you imagine being in a movie theater in 1979 having no idea that that scene is coming and then just being like, what the fuck is going on? Well, and oh my God, the the way the the other actors in the scene so believable the shock like it i i'm curious if they knew exactly how that was going to look but because some of them are so horrified so i heard and i can't remember how much of it is true and 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 whatnot but i definitely have heard that in the script it it's pretty vague and they don't really know what's going to happen like they know something's going to happen but like they were i heard they were not expecting that and so some of their shock is genuine Mm, wow yeah um i uh we have it as a 4k uh restoration and it was probably one of my favorite films we watched um 4k films we watched on our new tv um it just was god it it makes me drool thinking about how pretty the movie looked (laughs) oh it looks great yeah and and i actually prefer the director's cut um there's some scenes added that i that i like most notably uh she finds tom scarrett's character in the the nesting and it's uh they, they do an homage to an aliens when they find the woman and she's like kill me mm. it's tom scarrett is saying ripley just just kill me and so she tortures him and i don't know why they took that out of the theatrical cut because i i i don't know i guess it didn't add or lose anything with it being there <laughs> or not being there but i i like it but alien 10 out of 10 if you've never seen alien i don't know why you're listening to this episode but like you need to just go see alien immediately and it seems like it had a, a major influence on James Cameron. In the interview I watched with him and Ridley Scott, James Cameron said to Ridley, "You are the director that I've always strived to to you know emulate." And I, um, I, I am. He said, even to this day, I still say I want to be Ridley Scott. So, um, I mean, that, that just how how cool this man like has you know has really changed. The landscape of cinema by influencing so many filmmakers. Yeah, yeah. Well, we got a, a Chanel commercial, and then next up, <laughs> he makes Alien, and then follows it up with Blade Runner. Man, a um, film that almost killed him. I think he said right. It was brutal that process. Yeah, yeah. He is even to this day uh, still complains about the production of that movie, um, but he's. I think he's ultimately happy with where it is now because there's like what there's like five different versions of Blade Runner now can I ask you because I I'm still confused what is do you know what his take is really on this does he think Deckard was a a replica uh replicant or I don't is know kind of cagey about that yeah I don't know that he's ever come out and said it at least I I mean maybe he has and I've just never heard it my personal take is Deckard's not not a replicant Mm-hmm. I've never got that impression. I see why people want to believe that, but I've I've never I've never believed that. I don't know. My my background Blade Runner is kind of funny. So my my mom is a big sci-fi person. And I don't know that she's like really loves Blade Runner, but I think she always thought it was interesting. And when I was younger, I was like middle school age, she was just like, 
you should you should watch Blade Runner. And I was like, if you say so. And she rented it for me. And I just don't think I was old enough to get it. And like I was expecting Harrison Ford being a you know this badass robot cop. And there's really only like a couple of action scenes. And so me being 13, it's not what I was expecting. Uh, so the themes kind of, you know, went over my head. But of course, going back and watching it as an adult, you realize why it was so innovative, why the themes are important, uh, why the acting is important. And especially now that we have the definitive like final cut, which is the best version of the movie. Um, I mean, this is, as I said, it's, it's, it's one of the most important movies ever made. Absolutely. And um, definitely wanted to bring up that, uh, and talking about Ridley's strong female characters um, in, in his work, I think Rachel, who's played by Sean Young, should be up there because uh, she is filling the role of this like classic kind of femme fatale in, in film noir. And um, I, uh, I think that her, I mean, she is the heart and soul. I do think of, of Blade Runner. Um, and uh, I, I am heartbroken in the scene when when she comes to the realization that she is a replicant because Harrison Ford is listing off, you know, the memories that um, and there's only one way he would know all of those memories. And it's because they were planted in her. And um, I just think the way the camera lingers on her face and takes in her um, acknowledgement of all of that is just um it's just it's really beautiful acting and um i i i love the um the grace he gave in that scene to um her performance and um and the real like quiet power she had to that yeah no all the acting is really great you get the really young edward james almost and of course uh rutger Hauer playing um playing a baddie and his famous uh, ad lib line about uh, tears in the rain. Oh my god! Which yeah, he just, he just busted out, and they they kept it in, and it's one of the most famous movie lines of all time. Um, oh, and then Daryl Hannah. I don't, I yeah, forget Daryl Hannah. Yeah, but uh, excellent movie. I love the sequel too, uh, but it yeah. all started with the original film. Um, this is also Ridley Scott's first time working with the uh, um, the the uh, composer Vangelis, who did famously did uh blade runner and he did chariots of fire amongst many other movies and really scott worked with him multiple times throughout the years and he has since passed away but uh this is this is the beginning of their partnership but uh super important movie it's another you know you know eight nine out of ten never seen blade runner highly recommend also much like alien can't believe he made it in the time that he made it because it looks incredible wow yeah he i think that his um uh, his background in art uh, and uh, in drawing and and going to art school, where he said that um, art school completely changed him, and it's what I mean. He said drawing is 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 the catalyst for everything yep. in, in his career, and I um and he talks about how important storyboarding is to him too. But I think he I think he just has a really good handle on um art design, yeah, the 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 production design of of his films. Agreed. So, uh, and his art uh, artist background, I think, has a lot to do with that. And um, he, uh, gosh, what was the last thing I wanted to say? Oh, do you know about um, the Stanley Kubrick connection with this? With Blade Runner? Yeah. No. So uh, the, the studio told Ridley, no, we don't like 
what's he doing looking at a piece of fucking origami and then the movie ends and he walks into the elevator and they're like we can't have that they need to have a happy ending and uh he didn't have the he you know he'd wrapped production he there was no more money to go and and uh and I think also Ridley's crafty this way. So he's thinking, who can I approach? Who do I know? He said, oh, I went to Stanley and I asked him, I said, you have all that helicopter footage from The Shining, right, of uh, of the vehicle moving through the around the mountains. And he's like, is there any way I could use some of that unused footage from The Shining? And Stanley Kubrick sent him um, like hours worth of helicopter footage from The Shining that they, they never used. But then uh, he said that Stanley um, and Kubrick said, oh, wait, what kind of car is your character driving? Because <laughs> he's like, it's a Volvo in, in all my footage. But they he made a joke and said, like, but what's your what what are you, what's your aspect ratio or whatever of your film? And he said, oh, it's perfect. It'll stretch out the car in your in your film. So it'll work. It'll work better. It, no one will know. Um, but uh, I just, yeah, thought it was a cute little cute little aside about and their little connection there but directors helping other directors nice well really did a lot of commercials but there's only one that i feel like we need to talk about and that's the 1984 macintosh 1984 commercial mm-hmm. uh if you're not familiar with this commercial so funny enough this is how prevalent this commercial was i was born in 1984 which is when this commercial emerged but throughout the rest of the 80s i still remember it being a prominent thing it was a big deal um it uh, debuted in just a few places and then was on like the Super Bowl, I think. Mm. But basically what it was, was Mac- Apple was introducing the first Macintosh. And there's a scene that looks like from the novel and the movie, 1984, of Big Brother talking to a, a crowd of uniformed people uh, as, a, as a woman who was actually an athlete in real life goes running towards the screen with guards chasing her. And she swings a sledgehammer, smashing, smashing the uh, the screen. Uh, and then uh, it says in 1984, Apple's introducing the Macintosh, a computer that will make it not feel like, quote unquote, 1984. Yeah. Uh, I cannot. I mean, there's no words for me to tell you what a big deal this commercial was. First of all, it's confused people. People didn't understand what <laughs> what was going on. But it was just a production. It was just so impressive. It won a bunch of awards. And then later down the line, like won more awards like in the nineties, which is kind of weird, but it was just a incredibly influential commercial. And he's, it's one of the things he's known for. Totally. And, uh, really, I think in the, the minute or so long, the commercial is, uh, it's, it, it is a short film. I think in and of itself, it's very, the, the, the production quality is in, is incredible. And to think that it probably just smacked, consumers in the face and just did exactly what I think a good commercial should do, which is just generate buzz and interest around a product uh, that uh, was probably completely foreign to most people. And uh, I, so, you know, deserved all the awards, all the advertising awards he could have received for that because Don Draper would be wickedly impressed. (laughs) All right. So after that, uh, we start having our first concerning moment with Ridley Legend, <laughs> uh, 1985 Legend, starring Tom Cruise, uh, Mia Sarah, and Tim Curry. Uh, this is not a good movie. Yeah, I I don't know if you want to see Tom Cruise before his like teeth were fixed and the unibrow. It's uh, I guess it's kind of 
kind of fun for that reason. And Tim Curry, I guess, is always giving it his all. But I heard Ridley Scott kind of compare it to like, he's like, I was like making a Disney movie. So uh, I will say this. <laughs> It looks amazing. Mm-hmm. Just, just to, it, if you just want to feast for the eyes, watch Legend. Um, it's, it is not good. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and I mean, it's shocking that Tom Cruise made Top Gun the next year. Yeah. Um, truly, though, it looks amazing. Tim Curry's famous get up uh, looks amazing. The scenes, all the makeup, um, everything looks just awesome. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's bad. It's just yeah. bad. Yeah. So, uh, after Legend, uh, we have someone to watch over me. Chelsea, have you seen this movie? No. Me neither. Okay. <laughs> uh, it's not well-reviewed. Don't know a lot about it. Tom Berenger movie. I do like Tom Berenger, but uh, we haven't seen it. Moving on. Uh, Black Rain. Have you seen this movie? I have not. I have seen Black Rain. It's okay. It's an action movie starring Michael Douglas and Andy Garcia. Uh, it's about um, kind of a rough-around-the-edges New York cop arrests Yakuza member and escorts him back to Japan and all hell ensues. Uh, I don't want to say this movie is a little racist, but it is, um, Ooh, I don't know what word I'm trying to say here. It is, it's, 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 uh, it's skirting a line. And, uh, Michael Douglas playing a hard nose, rough around the edges, badass cops, kind of odd. Andy Garcia's his sidekick. It's kind of odd. I don't know. There's some cool scenes, uh, it's an early Hans Zimmer score, uh, which is uh, which is not bad. Funny enough, like there's one of the one of the pieces of music in it is like almost identical to a piece of music from the Dark Knight trilogy, mm. and it's like he just ripped himself off. <laughs> but uh, this it, is bound to happen. <laughs> yeah, it's okay. It's an '80s action movie directed by Ridley Scott. It's watchable, but uh, eh, it's it's a, you. You know, if you feel like it, watch it. You don't have to. I'm looking at picture stills, and Michael Douglas looks like he's rocking a a very curly mullet. Yep, running around with that snub nose revolver and just typical 80s fashion. Yeah. It's okay. Okay. <laughs> uh, so that was in 89. Coming up on 1991, we have Thelma and Louise. Now, I also just watched this movie the first time in recent years, and it is not at all what I expected. Mm, yeah, no. I um, uh, he, um, I heard Ridley Scott say that he would like to make a Western, um, and I think it's in that, in that Mark Maron interview, and Mark Maron sort of you know, says, I think in the right context and perspective, you could say Thelma and Louise is a Western. And, um, and I agree with that. Uh, yeah, no, I, um, the only thing I really knew about two things I knew about Thelma and Louise was it introduced Brad Pitt to the world, uh, as a sex symbol and that they fly off a cliff at the end of the the film, yes, but, they do. but it's a really triumphant, um, ending as, yeah. as you know, you feel that they have made this dis- decision with their, you know, their whole heart and they, it's what they truly want in that moment. Um, uh, I, I, I just remember watching it and being like really blown away by how cinematic it felt, even though it's, it's, it could be seen as like, oh, you, you know, it's, it's dealing with domestic issues, um, the, the, when they go out on the road and, you know, they start being pursued by, uh, it is Harvey. It is Harvey 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 Keitel. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, uh, I, I just 
felt like I was watching just a very uh, well-paced and uh, just super well-paced action kind of uh, film at times and uh, with really, really excellent dramatic performances. And um, Susan Sarandon and Gina Davis, I think, have awesome chemistry. and They're both uh, dynamite in this movie. Yeah, I mean sexy compelling just uh really vulnerable um and uh yeah i don't i i i think i am glad that uh, i think it was michelle pfeiffer who encouraged ridley scott to actually direct it and he said he'd give it a give it a give it a whirl and uh because he was just producing it i think at the time so um there there we have it and uh again i think just letting actors and movie stars be movie stars, letting Brad Pitt showcase what makes Brad Pitt so um, so special too, and in such a early performance is pretty 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 rad. Yeah, I I remember growing up in the '90s, and I, I felt like there was this this perspective about the movie that it was like a uh, it was less of a female empowerment movie and more of a shit on guys movie, and that is that is. Not at all what it is. Um, and there's actually a lot of depth to all the characters. Uh, and there's depth to the to the subject matters. And and it doesn't paint all guys as bad. Like Michael Madsen is uh, a very like caring and supportive oh, yeah. boyfriend of Susan Sarandon's. And Harvey Keitel is like the only cop that is like sees the situation for what it is and has empathy for these women. And he's trying to bring them in without getting hurt. And uh, even Brad Pitt, who just rips them off, you can tell he's kind of rooting for them. Yeah. But, you know, are the bad guys in it? Yeah. Susan Sarandon shoots a rapist, which I really enjoyed. So, I mean, <laughs> I, it's, 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 a, it's a shockingly good movie. Yes. Yeah. And Gina, the actor who plays Gina Davis's husband, who I've seen in so many things, and I feel so bad I'm not getting his name right now, but he plays the schmucky husband perfectly. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, I And I see a lot of... Um, Ridley Scott's like uh, aesthetic or taste for um, kind of like the desert landscape because uh, I w was watching a commercial of his. It may have been one of his Chanel commercials or a Nissan commercial, and they're they're the shot in like a desert like setting, a canyon kind of setting, and I, I was like, oh my god, he went on to go you know replicate this on a grander scale with Thelma and Louise. But yeah, so good movie. I definitely recommend it, and it's it's such a great. Part of his filmography, because after two big sci-fi movies and then like an action and a thriller movie of the 80s, he does film on the Wii's. And it just shows that this guy really can do a lot and he wants to do a lot. Yeah. So um, and next up, we have 1992, 1492, Conquest of Paradise, a movie <laughs> about Christopher Columbus. Chelsea, have you seen this movie? I, I did not, but I want to hear your thoughts on it. Uh, this movie is bad. Uh, it is not good. Now, I will say this. Beautiful. Uh -huh. beautiful movie. Like there were so many scenes where I was kind of like, Oh, maybe I do kind of like this movie, but it was just cause it was shot. So, so amazingly the shots of the ocean as the sun is setting with the boats. Um, and they had like real boats, mm -hmm. you know, with the, that look that, uh, resembled the, the boats of that time. Uh, there's really good actors in the movie. Excellent actors. Um, really well cast and, uh, another great score by, by Vangelis. Um, but it's just it's just not good. It's way too long. It's it's pushing two forty. Um, really romanticizes Christopher Columbus. Kind of paints him as this benevolent, uh, not conniving person. And if anybody's read a history book, knows that 
he really was just trying to play everyone gets supposed to mean he's he was in real life was sucking up to the queen of Spain to try to get as much out of as he could while also taking advantage of the natives to get as much as he could. Uh, and it doesn't really paint him in that light in this movie. Um, yeah, I don't know. It, it just wasn't good. And I, I, I think this is one of the movies that Ridley Scott gets kind of offended when people don't speak lovingly about it. Cause he, he just does this thing where he'll change history to, to make an entertaining movie. But sometimes some history doesn't need to be changed. And he also seemed to focus on aspects of Columbus that I don't care about. Like, one of the most famous parts of Columbus in his initial voyage was how his crew got very impatient very quickly and considering a mutiny uh, to take over the boat. And that is like 30 seconds of the movie oh. before he finds the first the islands outside of Cuba and Florida. And, uh, and then they just get all this other stuff I don't care about. Um, so I don't know. It, it, it still shows his capabilities of making these grand set to pieces and uh, epic journeys and stuff. It's just, it's just not a very good movie. Mm. All right, yeah, but but he'll never admit that it's not good. No, in fact, to Mark Maron, he was that was one he was like, "Ah, it's a great movie." Uh, well, Ridley, no, it's not. I'm sorry. It did, he did. I did find a a Baria, I think is the pasta brand uh, commercial that he directed with Gerard Depardieu as starring in it. He and uh, I, it, it was luscious, lusciously shot, uh, and and then I heard him speak so lovingly about Gerard Depardieu too in that interview and how much. So I think he likes working with the guy, but yeah, he's an incredible actor, uh, especially if you've ever seen any of his his French movies. He is he's really underappreciated. I think he won a lot of awards in Europe, never won an Oscar, but a- excellent actor. I I remember him from either 101 Dalmatians or 102 Dalmatians with Glenn Close. <laughs> I did not even know he was in that. But um, okay, so four years go by, and 1996 we get White Squall. Have you seen this movie, Chelsea? No, I wanted to see it because I do like Jeff Bridges um, a lot, but I did not uh, see that movie. I have also never seen this movie. Uh, I remember it being a, a thing in the in the 90s. Um, I don't know. I really like Jeff Bridges. Uh, I, I, it was kind of like one of the movies that I was like, if I get time, I'm going to watch it. Yeah. And I just didn't have time. And, uh, I, I don't know, like it might be exciting, but I don't really care about a bunch of yuppies on a sailboat. So <laughs> I don't know. Maybe if it ever, now that it's, you know, now that it's on our radar, it's probably going to be one of those movies that's get, we're going to see now all the time, like around and available. Yeah, probably. So yeah, may, hopefully one of us will get to it. <laughs> Well, a year later, he makes G.I. Jane. Have you seen this movie, Chelsea? Uh, no, and I'm kicking myself that I didn't get to uh, watch that one. But I, I, I know you you did watch it. And um, yeah, I I read Demi Moore's uh, memoir that came out a couple years ago. And she touched a little on the, the process of making the film. But what, what are your thoughts on it? <laughs> There's a lot of potential there. And this is another strong female character from Ridley. Um I'd say the first almost like half of the movie is actually good. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's a believable story. Uh, Viggo Mortensen plays the uh, the um, I think he's a lieutenant. He's a captain. Excuse me, it's Navy, so he's a captain who runs. Or actually, he might have been a major. I don't remember. He he's he's the high high ranking officer for the uh, Navy SEAL boot camp. Um, he's awesome. Viggo Mortensen's awesome in this movie. Demi Moore's good in this movie. Um, there was something there, like watching her power through while these guys are quitting around her. Um, it really falls apart towards the end. Um, 
some pretty obvious stuff that I think was supposed to be a twist happens. And then they actually go on a mission to like Afghanistan and it's just, it's not shot. Well, it's, I know it's trying to give this culmination of her training and she helps her commanding officer and they succeed the mission. It kind of gives this, you know, like I said, this resolution culmination of everything, but it just, it felt, we felt like a different movie. I, I don't know. It, it, it's okay. The movie's okay. Yeah. It, it just kind of falls apart at the end. I think I, I remember it in like the pop culture landscape and uh, it, 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 I think is icon will always be iconic for just the transformation of Demi Moore physically um, for the movie and, and just what the movie required of, of her to do. And that so many people had never seen a woman on screen, um, you know, being showing that kind of strength before uh is uh I, I, in and of itself i it's you know I, he 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 found a way to make make that iconic at least yep it's definitely got the epic ridley scott elements uh so there's that um it's watchable but but not great so after gij in 1997 three years later we hit 2000 gladiator Whoa. this movie rocks my ass off I, I still love this movie i remember seeing it in theaters and being blown away i've owned it on vhs i still own Whoa. it on like blu-ray uh, and it's like one of those movies where i'm like that's a good movie and then i watch it and i'm like this is a great fucking movie like you i always forget i know it's good then you watch it and you're like oh it's so good and it's been done been hurt i mean um you know um spartacus it's been done I don't care. Gladiator is amazing. Do you think a big credit to that is is Russell Crowe? Yeah, you know it's funny. Like his performance is actually kind of subtle, uh, and sometimes I, I kind of chuckle when I think that he won Best Actor that year. Although I think that if I remember that was kind of a weak year, but he did exactly what the role called for, mm -hmm. uh, and he interacted with other really good actors. You know, I mean, probably the best performance in the movie is Joaquin Phoenix. Whoa, he didn't yeah. win. Yeah. But first of all, this movie, and I've already said, we said this about several of his movies now, but truly with Gladiator, it looks amazing. Yeah. It's beautiful. One of my very favorite Hans Zimmer scores that pulls so much more emotion out of it. Zimmer's score, like, does such a good job of, this is not just a testosterone-driven movie. There's more emotions there, and the music really pulls it out of you. I, I don't know. If you listen to this, I'm sure you've seen Gladiator, but it's just from the opening battle scene to all the to all the Coliseum scenes. God, movie's just unbelievable, and it's the only Ridley Scott movie to get really real accolades. And he didn't even win Best Director. Oh yeah, yeah. Who ended up winning that year? Uh, I have to go back and look. Yeah. It won Best Picture. Mm -hmm. um, you know, Russell Crowe won. I think it won a couple other things: set design and stuff. It won like six Oscars, but not director. Yeah. I um I learned at that um on that Hollywood roundtable uh, that he said that in the when they started making the film they actually didn't have a finished script and um he and Russell Crowe had to have uh, a meeting before one of the first battle scenes of the film and and you know director to actor conversation Russell Crowe was like what a you know, how am I going to command this scene? What am I supposed to say? We don't even have a script. And uh, Ridley improvised and told him to say, uh, looks like snow or some, something like that. It was the line. And he said in some sort of 
cinematic magic. It actually ended up snowing a few hours later that day while they were filming. And uh, uh, and, and, and Russell Crowe kind of challenged him. He's like, what does that line even mean? And he's like, I don't know, but just say it. It sounds good. So um, I, I've only seen Gladiator twice. And the first time I watched it, I was still in middle school school high school so i i don't really remember the movie well enough to know if that line made it into the film but uh i either way i guess it was just kind of kind of a fun fact to to learn that they could even start production on a film like that without having a completed script kind of blows my mind yeah it's great there's always talks about making a sequel please don't do it it doesn't need a sequel please god don't make a sequel yeah uh but love gladiator outstanding movie all right, we're going to take a quick little break, and then we're going to dive into the 2000s. Okay, so in 2001, he put out two movies, and we'll start with Hannibal, the uh, 10-year sequel to Silence of the Lambs. Um, I assume you've seen this, Chelsea. I Yes, but... Uh... Shame to me, I did not rewatch it in preparation for this. It was I had every intention to, but did not make it. I, I didn't either, but I've seen it enough. I've seen it several times. Um, I think there's good things about Hannibal, and then there's just there's bad things about Hannibal. Um, I, I think its biggest problem is Science of Lambs is so fucking good uh, that it's just really hard to finally follow up. Uh, it was based off the novel, although they did make some changes, most notably the ending, which I'll get into in a bit. Um, Jewel, or, um, Jodie Foster did not want to... Well, they wanted her to come back, but she wanted um, she wanted a lot of creative control over Clarice, and they didn't want to give it to her. Mm-hmm. I don't think she really wanted to do it, so I think she was like, the only way I'm going to do this is if you give me everything I asked for. Yeah. You know, Julianne Moore takes over. She's, she's really good. There's some really uh, even grotesque scenes that are just really well done when he throws the guy over the, the balcony and everything in, in Italy. Um, is it Italy or is it Spain? I actually don't remember. I think but, it's Italy. I think yeah. it's Rome. Um, but it's just, you know, of course, Gary Oldman's insane <laughs> performance, but it's not bad, but it's, it's not great. Is it Red Dragon or Hannibal where someone is eating brains, but they don't realize it's it? Hannibal. Okay. H- Hannibal is easily of the three stories, the most grotesque over the top. Like, I really think the author was going for the shock factor. I mean, I don't know. The Red Dragon story is really good. Red Dragon, the movie is okay. Manhunter is probably a little better. Um, and then Silence of the Lambs, the book and the movie are, are just great. Yeah. Uh, and Hannibal is the final of the series. Well, he, then he does Hannibal Rising, the mm-hmm. prequel, which um, not a, not a good movie. Uh, but yeah, H- Hannibal's totally watchable, super entertaining. It's just, I don't know. It's just it's just not as good as Silence of the Lambs. And mm-hmm. since I didn't watch it, I probably can't put my finger on it. Mm. Yeah, I, I've uh, from everything I remember about Hannibal, kind of as I'm seeing Ridley Scott move into the 2000s, whatever cinematographers he was choosing to work with, or kind of whatever color palette he was trying to work with, uh, in that time it became a lot more. Kind of reminds me a bit of like. Um, maybe even like Michael Mann in a way. It just felt like, okay, we have reached a new millennium here. We're like, yeah. it, it just felt a little more sleek and stylish in yeah, some ways. Agree. So that that's kind of not a very interesting takeaway from Hannibal, but. <laughs> no, my, but you're right. Yeah. I mean, around this time is when they started moving primarily into digital film and um, it really does give it a different look. Yeah. Uh, so uh, yeah, Hannibal, I don't know. 
I I just think of it as a movie my friends and I watched uh, at a sleepover and it scared my friend so badly that like she got worked up into like a panic attack over it. And classic me, I had fallen asleep in the middle of watching the movie. So I didn't really know what had scared her so much about it. And so I just wake up to my friend just having this full on fit and like sobbing. And it was uh, it was a wild night. I think that's when they also got a picture of me waking up and it's very unflattering, but it's <laughs> classic, but fun sleepover times with friends. <laughs> so, so famously in Hannibal, they, they changed the ending from the book. In the book... Uh, Clarice actually <laughs> runs away with Hannibal uh, after the the eating of the brain, and they run away. And then it goes into the, the the epilogue. They go into the future, and the orderly who sells the Hannibal Lecter mask to Gary Oldman in the first scene, he goes to the opera with his wife, and they look down and see Hannibal and Clarice together. And he's like, tells his wife, "You got to get out of here." And that's the end of the book. And I think everyone, fans, Jodie Foster, everybody was like. That's a terrible ending, and I know you're the creator of these stories, but what about Clarice's yeah. character would have done this? And so they changed the ending for the movie, uh, which uh, is, for all critiques of the movie I have, that was the right thing to do. Good. Good. Uh, also in 2001, he put out Black Hawk Down. Uh, I know you watched this movie for the first time to get ready for this. I have seen it. Um, definitely a lot of good about it, but I know you had some some concerns with it. So go ahead. Yeah. I mean, I think, um, could have very well been just like, I wasn't in the right headspace for it too at the time, but, uh, it just, um, lots, lots of guns, (laughs) guns, loud noises. It's a very, um, it was a very assault on all my senses for sure. Uh, and at times I was a little lost. Um, I think that it, it's a huge, you know, a very uh, complicated uh, story to to tell, and with many angles to it. With this, uh, the the military operation to, uh, so I, I think that I think that Ridley Scott did. A, I I do see the work that went into editing it and to crafting it and blocking it out to make the movie flow as um, seamlessly as possible. But I was just, I was at times, I just felt exhausted kind of watching the movie. It wasn't very enjoyable for me, I guess is what I'll I'll put. I, but I, I can, I can, a pinpoint a few performances that I really enjoyed. I really liked Ewan McGregor in the movie. And it also is just kind of fun to see lots of young male actors oh, in it. Yeah. Lots of British actors playing American soldiers. Um, nothing against that. But um, anyway, I think there's a young Tom Hardy. There is it. a young Tom Hardy. Yeah. yeah. I got the cast right here. We can just, this is not everyone. I'm just going to name some big names, but definitely go look up the whole cast when you get time. Josh Hartnett, Ewan McGregor, Tom Sizemore, Eric Bana, William Fickner, Sam Shepard, uh, Hugh Dancy, uh, Tom Hardy, as you said, Jason Isaacs, Jeremy Piven, um, and I just saw someone else, maybe not, but definitely like, oh, Orlando Bloom. Oh, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, I yeah. mean, definitely go look at this cast because you'll see much more recognizable faces. Um, yeah, I remember watching it. I watched it a couple years ago, and the production is incredible, and I think that that's what it got a lot of attention for and it, it you know, got a lot of Oscar nominations for was was production, sound, all of that is I mean, it's it's really incredible. It feels real, which is probably why you're overwhelmed. Yeah. Uh, but you're really there to enjoy the production. You're there to enjoy the performances. 
not a lot of meat on the story. It's just, it's like a ride. You're on the ride, and then when the movie totally. ends, you're off the ride. Totally. That's a really good way to put it. Yeah. So it depends on what you watch movies for. Uh, good movie. It's just, it. what kind of good movie do you want to watch? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so moving into 2003, Matchstick Men. I watched this for the first time for this, and I loved it. Yeah, I know. It's so... I guess I misspoke in the beginning when I, I think about what my where my Ridley Scott affection comes from. Really, it comes from Matchstick Men. I just didn't know who Ridley Scott was when I first saw Matchstick Men to like draw that connection. But um, Matchstick Men is uh, one of the first movies, like really kind of like stylish movies I watched um, as I was a young adult. Um, teenager that I felt like what it kind of shaped uh, my taste in 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 cinema and um it, it I just felt uh really t- just totally wrapped up in the performance the writing the the editing direction everything just kind of came together really perfectly in this um sort of you know smaller scale movie for Ridley Scott um, and that I think just is just a lot of fun. It's it's just so fun and and gives a it gets great performances out of Nicolas Cage, Allison Lohman, and Sam Rockwell. Yeah, I, I love it. This is easily one of my favorite Nicolas Cage performances. Uh, I was completely glued to this movie the whole time. I, I didn't want to look at my phone, anything. I loved all the interactions with everyone. I loved his relationship with Sam Rockwell. I loved his relationship with Allison Lohman. Uh, I. I did not see the twist coming. I knew something was coming, but yeah, I don't know that I expected that. Yeah, um, I was very frustrated with the ending until it totally ends, and then you're actually satisfied. Mm. Um, it's just good. As I have, I have no critiques about it at all. I maybe I would have liked a little more con manning uh, sure. before everything goes down, but um. Ah, it's just it's really really good, and I don't think enough people talk about it. Yeah, I think it tapped into um, what uh, is charismatic about Nicolas Cage as an actor, and what is so charismatic about Sam Rockwell. So um, I just uh, I, I really I would be surprised to hear anyone say they did not like this movie if they went to just sit down and enjoy it. It it just is just let it wash over you. It's really fun. Yeah, highly recommend. Highly recommend. Uh, okay, next up we have Kingdom of Heaven. Chelsea, did you get a chance? Yeah, and I, you know, uh, got to tell listeners out there, I think it's it's often on streaming platforms, but it's not the director's cut. You, I think you have to pay a little 100%. bit gotta to get the director's, director's cut. cut. But yeah, so that's the, the one I watched. And um Talk about uh, you're always so good about mentioning the music in the films. I think the score in this movie is so um, so surprising. It also it uses a lot of like um, almost like chamber sounding music. I mean, super yeah. like to play into the religious themes of the movie. But like and some opera is uh, which I I you know I was sitting there in a part of uh, the movie where there I think he utilizes this opera opera uh that's all he also uses in Hannibal okay okay and I was like wow this is like playing in so well with the action in the scene that like 
to utilize uh, dialogue or, or singing. Even granted, I didn't understand what they were singing about, but with opera, so much of it is like in the emotion of the the voice, and Absolutely. and I was like, you know, whoa, this this was such a brilliant choice, uh, and and really added to the overall grandeur of uh, of the story. And why haven't they made more movies about the Crusades? It's a really what a what a fascinating uh, point of history. Yeah. Um, I watched this movie a long time ago when it first came out on DVD, and I don't think it was a director's cut, but it was some kind of special edition. And I remember liking it okay, but but feeling lost at parts. Uh, rewatching the director's cut, which is over three hours long, uh, for this, it's the only way to go. Um, you are there's really not any slowing down parts as long as the movie is, and there's a full there's an overture, there's a full intermission, and it doesn't matter. You just full take it in. Uh, so many good acting performances. Uh, Orlando Bloom. This is, I'd say, other than, I don't know, he's good in Pirates of the Caribbean. Uh, Orlando Bloom is not a great actor. He's no. kind of got a lane, but, but this is his best. This yeah. is his best. Yeah. Uh, Liam Neeson, who's he's one of my favorite actors. He's always good. Um, a secret performance by Edward Norton. Uh, yeah. Oh, I was so proud of myself. Uh, I was like, I think I know who that is. Who's voicing the the king yeah oh and, uh am i crazy or jeremy irons is in it too he you're not yeah. crazy he is in it and um has an a, a, a beautiful performance and so does um oh my god why am i forgetting his name he is a british actor in the harry potter movies in so many movies oh uh david Th- yes Thulis. Th- yeah 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 he also pops up quite a bit throughout the film and is always a, always a joy when he shows up. But yeah, what a good Liam Neeson performance, though. It's yeah, I've, I think he Eva Green, which in the director's cut, I heard he gave, you know, he he wanted to um, add back in the scenes he shot with Eva Green, the princess of Jerusalem and um, the tragedy around her story and with her son. And I think it added a lot to the the, the, the film and um, always great to see Eva Green. What a face. Um, she's she's incredible. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's really good. Um, it is. A tr- I went, well, chores not the right word. It, this is like a three hour and 15 minute movie. So we we both highly recommend you watch it, but we understand you have to find time. But if you've never seen the director cut of Kingdom of Heaven, it's it's like one of those movies make you go, man, Ridley still still had it. Yeah, and it covers so much ground. I mean, in starting in France and going down to Jerusalem, and um, it is I I think if you like Gladiator and the epic story, Kingdom of Heaven will be right you know in the same um, lane. And again. This is coming off Magic Man. I mean, the guy can direct. Yeah. Anyway. And really, I cannot emphasize enough how good Orlando Bloom is in the movie. It's like I, I, the fact that he really carries it and does it. In, and I also think it's he is at his most handsome in the film. And um, he is just you, you really cannot take your eyes off him. And I think he's doing he's doing a lot just fit with his physicality in the movie. And um, I I I. I loved it. I, I've, I mean, he was one of my very early like movie star crushes from the Pirates movies. But yeah, I never really thought like what a good actor he is. But this is yeah, the first movie where I thought, wow, what a great job. Uh, so next up is something called All the Invisible Children, but this doesn't count because it had like 
a bunch of different directors directing segments. Um, so I haven't seen this of you. I yeah. didn't. No. So uh, after that, so really, Scott, I guess remembered he really liked working with Russell Crowe because he goes on a run. <laughs> here. Uh, a good year. Have you seen this movie? No, I wanted to see it though because I think it's the movie that brought him and Meg Ryan. Together. Nope, that was pr- proof of life. Oh, that's right. They, thank you. Okay, got it screwed up. Um, so I have not seen this movie either. So moving on. Uh, oh, here we go. 2007, American Gangster. This movie is dope. I'm, I'm hanging my head in shame over this one that I didn't get to see this before we recorded. Because yeah, it, I wanted to. I had every intention to see it. That's all right. I, it just gets to look forward to watching it. Finally, yeah, you know but. me. I, I love Denzel. So. I'd seen this movie before. It'd been a while. I remember liking it, but I kind of wondered, because I knew it was really long. It's like 245. And I was like, did I really like it as much as I thought I did? No, I definitely did. This movie's great. It is a little too long. And I think that they could have cut some time. They they get really into Russell Crowe. He's the um, law enforcement officer who's working to bring down Denzel's organization. But at the same time, this is a true story. He passed the bar and became a lawyer. Um, but they go a little too much into his personal life with like his ex-wife and custody of his son. None of that is relevant, I don't think. And it does a good job of adding depth to his character. But you could cut all that out mm-hmm. and make this like a two-hour, 20-minute movie. And I think it'd be much more palatable. And let's be real. Russell Crowe's great in this movie. We're watching it for Denzel. Um, this is a true story about... Um, uh, it was he was Denzel's playing... Frank Lucas, who was Bumpy Johnson's uh, right-hand man, who Bumpy Johnson was kind of like the head of the Harlem Mafia. And when he died, nobody took Frank seriously, and he figured out a way to take over and import heroin straight from Vietnam um, and becomes ruthless. And the best scene in the movie, and if you don't even want to watch this movie, I just go pull up the scene, was when uh, Idris Elba, Continue to dis- disrespect him, and he owed Denzel some money. And just go watch the scene. Just type in "American Gangster," Idris Elba scene. I love Idris Elba too, uh, but uh, Denzel's Denzel, and this scene's amazing. But uh, awesome movie, awesome movie. The true elements. Really, Scott always bends the truth a little bit, but the true elements are awesome. The way the movie ends is really fascinating. Uh, "American Gangster" is is. Uh, awesome movie maybe i'll do a double feature of training day and american gangster because i've never seen either of those films oh, and Chelsea. yeah <laughs> uh and i can see denzel at his uh at the, the the dark side of denzel oh man we're gonna have to we're gonna have to have a, a few good men training day <laughs> double feature evening um okay next up we have we both watch this movie for the first time to get ready for this podcast, 2008, Body of Lies, starring Leonardo DiCaprio and Russell Crowe. Yeah. Um, I I really think this is kind of one of those perfect, like, middle of the road, very entertaining. Um, it's not going to, like, it's it's not going to probably change your whole film perspective or anything like that. Um, but uh, is just, I was very... Um, I, I, I just thought it was overall just a, a very entertaining uh, movie and uh, with a, I think a really really great performance from Leonardo DiCaprio. It did like you know shine a light on um, the conflict in the Middle East in kind of in a refreshing take that I hadn't seen before. But uh, I yeah nothing n- nothing disparaging to say about this movie. I'm not going to say knock my socks off or anything, but just was very entertained by it. 
I thought it was okay. Uh, there were definitely scenes I liked better than others. There were just parts of the movie where I got bored. Oh, okay. Um, but the performances are great. Uh, you're right. Leo and Russell Crowe are both really good. A young Oscar Isaac is yeah. a movie who's quickly becoming one of my favorite actors. Um, it, um, yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know what it was. It's exciting ending. Uh, definitely, like, particularly, you know, coming out at the time it did 2008, we're still in the heat of um, everything going on in the Middle East. So uh, certainly when it came out, I'm sure it was much more prevalent. So I don't know. It's It's solid. Somebody might like it more than me. I've just I found it to be a little middle of the road. Yeah, I I I think middle of the road, great way to describe it. And thinking more about it, I do think whatever kind of uh, romantic uh, storyline they were trying to build between Leo and um, the doctor uh, who he met, uh, it I, I I they needed it for some kind of dramatic. Uh, plot purposes later on in the film but it just didn't really ring very true to me so that i guess that would be my one my one bad thing to say about it all right so two years later 2010 we get robin hood this movie made me angry (laughs) i did not get around to watching you're not missing anything i don't know this is one of the ones where if i ever met him i'd be like dude what the fuck what was that just Uh, wanted to work with russell crowe again well i remember when it was announced and like the posters were coming out everybody was pumped because like I think I think if somebody would just can somebody just make a good Robin Hood movie? Mm. I mean, you just just take the Errol Flynn one from the thirties and, and and modernize it. Quit trying to reinvent the wheel. Like we've had like four Robin Hood movies in the past twenty years and they're they're all, all terrible. The mark, yeah. They're all terrible. And, and this one was the the main problem with this one was and I didn't realize this until the movie ended, but it's it's not the traditional Robin Hood story. It's it's almost like a prequel uh, of what happened. So, like, he doesn't have his merry men and robbing the rich, and we don't have the archery tournament. He's a soldier for Prince John and, or um, excuse me, King Richard. And they're coming back from the Crusades, and they're sacking castles, which that's really how Richard, Richard the Lionheart was. He just couldn't stop going to war all the time. Uh, and, and then there's just, I, I don't know. I don't even know what to tell you. It's... It, at the end of the movie, they're the married men, and it says, and now the story begins. It's like, no, <laughs> what you're not telling is the only thing I wanted to hear. I didn't want to see any of this. <laughs> it's way too long. Uh, Robin Hood, uh, Russell Crowe is not very good in it, uh, but Kate Blanchett, who I just, I'll watch her in anything. She's, she's great. Uh, back-to-back movies, Mark Strong, he was in Body Lies as well, but uh, Oscar, also Oscar Isaac playing Prince John. Uh, I don't know. It's just really bad. I, I was really like, I always heard it was not good and I figured I'd get around to it. And I, it's jarringly a bad movie. It's really inexcusable from being honest with you. Well, I'll stay far away from that one. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Anyway. Uh, so next up, we'll go from 2010 to 2012. Very controversial film, Prometheus. Uh, I really like this movie. You don't. Have at it. Oh, I mean, I th- I think that um, there, the Prometheus, I think in a lot of ways, in just a recent rewatch of Alien, is drawing a lot of parallels and trying to recreate a lot of the alien magic um, with, uh, especially the scene when they get off the ship and they discover the those. Uh, 
egg pods or whatever with uh and and the horror that plays out um in what happens to uh is it John Hurt you said in the first yes film? John Hurt John Hurt uh, and the the way that it plays out with the two, instead now two characters in Prometheus, um, I will say that's a really, really scary edge of your seat um, filmmaking there. Uh, so point there for that. I, I knew me rapace. Um, I, I really do uh, lo- love what she's doing and kind of filling the shoes of Sigourney Weaver. Um, uh, and I also think that Michael Fassbender is uh, giving an excellent performance. Outstanding um, in this movie. I, but Charlize Theron, I don't know. She just really bugs me in this movie, along with a few other performances. But um, but I don't want to shit all over it. I do think it's stylish. I think it's it's very. Um, I think there are some beautiful shots. Um, and it's. I'm not gonna like pan the movie completely. But what do you love about it? I mean, I love the Alien franchise. Uh, so I mean, I was all in, and I think if you're deep into the lore of the, the franchise. You know, you want more. Um, yeah, I mean, some of the some of the cast choices I'm not crazy about. Um, I so here's the thing: I can be fair, and I think I understand uh, a lot of people's issues with it. I, I think a lot of people don't like that there's so much new information brought in Prometheus that doesn't really get explained. I'll be honest. I mean. And I don't want to jump too far ahead. You know, a lot of the loose ends in Prometheus do get tied off in Alien Covenant. But before Alien Covenant came out, um, Prometheus, even me, I love the movie, did bug me that there were so many loose, loose ends. I had so many questions at the end of the movie that didn't get answered. Um, but I don't know. It just still feels like a, an Alien movie. And I love that we get the um, uh, the background, the, uh, the the what are the what are the the precursors, yeah, the the creators, the you know, because yes. in the first alien, they find the ship and they find the carcass. And to find out more about these beings uh, was really fascinating to me. And and Numi replace, Rapace, I think, plays the um, the wonder and like excitement over discovering more about them in a really um, in a really good way. I, I think she she is really uh, you can tell the passion she has for the study and wanting to um but I, I just whatever passion she presents is like totally foiled by the guy that they cast to play her husband, boyfriend, whatever. Yeah, I, he was one of the people I had a problem with. I'm like, what the hell are you even doing? I mean, he looks like a model. Maybe I, I don't know, but that's I'm, has that guy even gone on to do anything? Yeah, else? I think he's. I mean, I think he's still working, but he pops up and stuff here and there. But I, I don't know. Um, yeah, it's one of those things. Like, I love this movie. I get why some people don't. Um, but yeah, it's just that's why I say controversial. But if you're a fan of the Alien series and you haven't seen Prometheus, I'd definitely check it out. So next up, we actually have a movie that you've seen and I haven't, The Counselor. Ah, uh, yeah. I um so this was a movie I never will forget being in the theater and seeing a trailer for it because it it is like such a stacked cast with uh uh you know Michael Fassbender, Javier Bardem. Penelope Cruz, Cameron Diaz, Brad Pitt. Um, and I, whatever is messy 
or at fault about this movie. I am going to put on Cormac McCarthy. I think the script is just, I don't know. It did not, the, the dialogue is so, it just, it does not feel like filmic dialogue. It feels like something out of a novel. Did he write, um, was this a book first or did he write the book and the script or is this just a movie he wrote? I actually cannot, I, I cannot remember if it's based on a I think it must be based on I a think book. It is. And then he came in and wrote this the screenplay for it as well. But I I think someone else maybe should have uh been co-writing it or done some touches on it because it um I and maybe people were too afraid to to rein him in because No Country for Old Men had been such a success, but um it uh yeah, there it's I'm trying to just be concise about my critique with this movie. And I like that it's under two hours long. Um, I think that there's uh, um, Javier Bardem is giving a really fun performance. And Penelope Cruz is just like a raw nerve. Like, so she is giving some beautifully like just uh, silent performances like it throughout the film just with uh, everything she's able to portray just through her her um, facial expressions it's really it was really nice to be reminded what a great actress she is um, and but Michael Fassbender it's not really his fault but I just think like you never really care about his character because they just don't give you anything really to work with but he is the lead of the film um, I think the only reason you care about him is just because of his relationship with Penelope Cruz in the movie. And Cameron Diaz is m- menacing and it, it does have a very scary presence to her, but it just like, I don't know what happened in the final scene. It's a very, it was just such a, a flop to her anything they were trying to do with her character, it just kind of all fell apart towards the end. But, um, uh, yeah, it's, it does have a very iconic uh, moment with her having sex with a car. Um, yeah. (laughs) And, um, and it's, uh, so I don't know. It's whatever. It, 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 uh, it, it definitely kept me gripped to, uh, to the story, uh, for one reason or another, but I, I would just constantly be taken out of it when like, there would just be too much dialogue happening that I was like, none of this sounds like the way people really talk to each other, at least not in movies. So that's, that's my take on the counselor. I remember seeing commercials for it when it was running. I was like, wow, look at that cast. Ooh, Ridley Scott. And all the reviews were just like, this is a real trash pile. So I've avoided it. So I'm glad you watched it. (laughs) So uh, all right, 2013 to 2014, Exodus, Gods and Kings. Chelsea, have you seen this movie? I know, even though I, 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 I'd always wanted to because I love Christian Bale, but, uh, but yeah, no, I've never seen it. I have not seen this movie. I also love Christian Bale, and I like Joel Edgerton. I do not need to see them play Moses and a Pharaoh. <laughs> uh, I thought this was uh, really Scott taking too big of a bite here. Yeah, I just yeah. had no desire to watch it. Uh, but then we jumped to 2015, The Martian, which is a good movie. Yeah, it is. I um, I think uh, it, this you know has is the big movie that everyone loves to poke fun at. Like, oh, the 
the best comedy of the year, The Martian, because it was nominated in all the comedy categories at the Golden Globes. And um, yeah, I mean, is it a technically a comedy no but uh again i think it it's what i said that i think that uh ridley scott cast actors who and then lets them kind of show their most like humorous selves in it and 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 matt damon does have to do a a lot rests on him you know in the in the film just he's kind of only acting against him himself or alone solo for most of it and um kind of just you know you have to see all the um I, I I just think letting him shine as uh, the charismatic actor he is, it 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 really worked for The Martian, and um, yeah, it's a it's a very good movie. Yeah, it's a good movie. It's a good ending, light, hopeful, funny, mm-hmm. fun, yeah. engaging all the way through. A- amazing cast. Yeah, if you've seen The Martian, like can't recommend it enough. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. Uh, from 2015, we go to 2017. Alien Covenant. Won't spend a lot of time on this. Uh, it does a really good job. So people don't like this movie. I mean, it's middling, middling. Um, I liked it. Okay. Not as much as Prometheus, but it does. A, I thought it did a good job of bridging the gap from Prometheus to the alien series that we know. Um, Michael Fassbender is awesome in it. Rumi or Numi Rapace does not come back. Uh, that really disappointed me when I first saw it, but it's solid. If you like the alien series, like I said, it, it, all the questions you have in Prometheus get answered in alien covenant. Um, it's not too long, so I don't know. It's solid. I think it's a cool sounding name for a movie too. Alien Covenant. Um. <laughs> there you go. Uh, from in the same year, 2017, we get all the money in the world. Have you seen this, Chelsea? Um, no, but I know you got to see it, yep. and uh, you know me, I love Michelle Williams. I love Michelle Williams, and um, all I I just think this is without me having seen the movie, but knowing a little bit of the backstory with Kevin Spacey and the very yep. bad press that came out around him and uh, around the time the movie was uh, in in post-production. Um, he, and I think Ridley Scott, with that producer mind of his, you know, very quick thinking, got um, uh, uh, Christopher Plummer, yep. right, to replace him. And did you notice, Was did it feel disjointed? Was no. It, yeah. it's, so so what, what, you know, you're saying, Chelsea, if you don't know the story, like the trailers for this movie were coming out. We had full trailers. They were almost done with this movie, and the bad press about Kevin Spacey came out. Uh, he was playing John Getty, who is one of the richest men ever in the history of, of the world. Uh, this is a true story. It is a little embellished, uh, but mostly true. I, I mean, looking back on it, Kevin Spacey was such an odd casting choice anyway. They had to put all this old man makeup on him. I, I, uh, just a weird choice to begin with. But... In, in a, I, I don't know how they pulled it off, but in last second, pull all the scenes Kevin Spacey's in, bring in Christopher Plummer, who filmed for a few weeks, and replaced him. Now, I went in this movie thinking, well, he's probably really going to be in the movie. No, he's in a great deal of it. So it's really impressive that they pulled it off. I think Christopher Plummer was a better choice anyway. Probably, yeah. <laughs> um, it's just a solid movie. Uh, you don't have to see it. Uh, I think the weakest point is Mark Wahlberg who I always feel like is a little overrated uh, actor. I, I get his appeal, but uh, he's got a lane, and his lane is not playing a lawyer in a Ridley Scott movie. It was distracting. It's just not what he's good at, uh, and especially juxtaposed Michelle Williams, who's one of the best actresses of the last 30 years. Uh, but the movie is good. 
the story is very interesting. Uh, it's about her son, who is John Getty's grandson, getting kidnapped for ransom. Uh, it's a very famous story because John Getty was cheap and did not want to pay the ransom. And I don't want to tell you anything else. You can just watch the movie or read the story on Wikipedia. Uh, but it's solid, watchable. Okay. Yeah. All right. From 2017, we go to, well, last year. He really did, a, like, it looks like a documentary, a commercial, started his series Raised by Wolves at HBO. So he probably took some time off to do Did you ever that. watch that? Uh, I have not. We watched the first couple episodes of it, Micah and I, and um, I, um, it's really stylish. It's 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 spooky. I don't know. I I didn't really hook us, I guess, in the way we wanted to be hooked. But um, but I I sometimes I think about getting back into it when I saw it like came back for another season. So I don't know. Kind of kind of cool. <laughs> I've heard good things, and I like Ridley Scott. Um, I, I find it hard to start new TV shows because there's so many and I'd yeah. rather watch movies. So. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but last year, he did what we've seen him do several times now. And he put two movies out one year. Uh, we'll start with The Last Duel, which you finally did get to see. I saw it in theaters. Yes. Yeah. Um, I just, I, I think this movie, uh, not quite sure why it was panned. Like, I knew it was very divisive. So it seemed like people either loved it they really hated it. Um, I'm not really sure what there is to hate about it. Um, I felt like it was it was less that it was divisive. And it was more that it just wasn't getting any attention. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know why because it's it's really good. Yeah, yeah. It, it either just succumbed to pandemic, you know, promotion pressures. Wow, PPP. Um, <laughs> uh, or yeah, just I guess. It, it, the subject matter, it, it is, I, I can see it, it's hard to market a film about uh, that centers on the story of, a, uh, of you know, a woman being raped. But um, what I found so, uh, what I was really surprised by, pleasantly surprised by, was how um, breaking the story into those three parts from the three characters' perspectives, how it it really only, um, you know, gave a, a more strong, uh, I, I think it, it, it only just lifted up Jodie Comer and, and the woman's story and, and, and showed just highlighted just how important it is to believe women in, in, in stories like this and, um, and showing the parallels between, um, whatever century, 14th century France or whatever, 13th century, and how we're seeing, you know, something, a woman being persecuted for coming out, uh, trying to defend herself when she's been assaulted, how, I mean, in so many ways, our society hasn't changed. And it's, it's depressing to look at it that way. But, um, but to see um, a story like this in the hands of a male director, an older male director, too, I think, um, I I really think he was uh, trying to get at something that spoke very true to me. And I thought he handled it with a lot of grace and tact. And um, uh, all the all the actors he chose to, were perfectly cast too. I think Ben Affleck played a really f- oh my fun kind of villainous. Uh, there's, I mean, the movie is pretty much all villains except for Jodie Comer. But yeah. um, but uh, yeah, I just I was really really entertained, really impressed with this movie. Well, when you talk about the subject matter, 
being presented to us from an older man. But I also, if I remember correctly, a lot of the story of Matt Damon, he read the book and really mm-hmm. wanted to get this movie made. So, uh, yeah, it's just another example of Ridley Scott portraying a woman correctly and, 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 and the unfortunate, unfortunate circumstances in this film. But um, it, this is a good movie, and I don't know why people weren't going to see it when it was in theaters. And moreover, this was one of the times Ridley Scott got a little crotchety, and he was blaming it on, I don't even remember now. I know he had some rant about, you know, people only caring about superhero movies <laughs> and stuff. And, I mean, he's not totally wrong, but I, I just don't think the movie was marketed very well. Um, but, you know, first time Ben and Matt had written a, a screenplay since Goodwill Hunting and directed by Ridley Scott, Adam Driver, Jodie Comer. It's a good movie. If you haven't seen The Last Duel, highly recommend. One of the best uh, performances I've seen from Adam Driver in um, – well, just hands down. I guess he hasn't been around that long, but it's one of my favorite performances of his. Yeah. Uh, well, in the same year, that brings us to <laughs> talk about controversy, House of Gucci, <laughs> which I saw in theaters and you got to watch finally. Yeah. Yeah. Um, also starring Adam Driver. Also starring Adam Driver. Um, I mean, we all know the accent work is um, amazing. It, it, <laughs> I think if you can look through some of the distracting accents, some some it's not as jarring as others. Like Lady Gaga, whatever she's doing, it it all really worked. Um, and uh, I actually think she's really good in the movie. She is, yeah, she really is. And um, uh, and Adam Driver, I sort of was like, take him or leave him in this movie. I was won over by him towards the end and kind of better I think understood what what he was doing there or why he was cast um but uh and okay Jared Leto too I um <laughs> from just a trailer's perspective he you you can't pick up quite on just I think he is bringing some nuance to this this buffoon of a character that he's playing, but it's not just all prosthetics. It's like an an outlandish uh, accent work and and acting. I I I do think um, he's serving a real purpose in the story, and um, and when you see it in its entirety, just like I think I was just telling Spencer off mic with Elvis, like when you get to see. Um, Tom Hanks in all the prosthetics is Colonel Tom Parker. Like it, it kind of, it all works. It just kind of gels when it's uh, taken in, in, in the full film. Sometimes trailers, I just don't know if they can always capture that. So um, yeah, House of Gucci, it was um, it probably could have been cut, shaved down a little bit. Maybe didn't need to be quiet as, as long as it was, but otherwise I was really entertained. Yeah, I mean, we said this in an episode earlier this year. I, I folks, this movie is self-aware. Like you're going, this movie's ridiculous. Yeah, it's supposed to be because these people were ridiculous. Really, Scott knew what he was doing, making fun of these people, letting them make fun of themselves. Yeah. Uh, it, it's supposed to be silly and dumb and entertaining because that's what these people were. Uh, don't take it seriously. Just be entertained and let the crazy story wash over you. And there's some great there's some great set work set pieces in the movie, and I always oh, think yeah. I mean it plays back into like how he's such a master of atmosphere. Um, really gets I mean he I he still it still reads as a Ridley Scott movie, but like I always feel like there is a stamp he he can he can place on whatever movie he's making. Yep. 
So that's that's his filmography thus far. The man is 84 years old and has multiple things in production right now. It's 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 impressive. I mean, at least with Clint Eastwood, who's still directing into his early 90s, he kind of one at a time. Ridley Scott's got 10 things going on uh, at 84 years old. So hats off to you. Uh, I'm looking forward to see what's coming in the future. Yeah. Yeah, I know. Got that Napoleon movie with Joaquin Phoenix to look forward to. He sounds super stoked about. Yeah. <laughs> so maybe a Western that he said he, he's always wanted to make. But yeah, it does not seem to be slowing down. All right. Well, uh, that's going to do it for the Ridley Scott section of this episode. So we're going to end with our recommendations as we always do. Chelsea, what do you got? Um, I It is a film from the 1960s. I should have written this down. Um, it is called Blow Up. And um, it uh, is directed by Michelangelo Antonioni. Have you ever heard of this movie? Oh, yes. It's what turned into blowout. Okay. Yes. Cause I, and we were just talking off mic about blowout, but, um, yes. Uh, blow up is starring, uh, David Hemmings and Vanessa Redgrave. And I, I just have to say like watching, I don't often go back and, and see films from the sixties, let alone like foreign films or, or films uh, um yeah this foreign foreign film um an italian director but shot in england and um it it really has a certain style to it it's uh i mean it's very very stylish and uh the reason it came on my radar is because hbo was putting collections of films together to really highlight um fashion and um th- so the yeah those the, the I would say that the story is there's there's actually very little dialogue throughout and but I I really love that because it just enhances all of the other parts of the story um the solving the mystery of what this photographer think has captured while he's in a park um not realizing that he I'm not really giving anything away but that he has discovered something nefarious um happen I guess I'll leave it at that and him trying to kind of unravel that mystery and uh Vanessa Redgrave um being introduced to the story kind of uh adding more complication she 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 is who he was photographing without her knowledge when he discuss and finds later something in the background that scares him but um yeah I don't know it's just it was kind of refreshing to watch something that didn't like follow like a classic like Hollywood uh narrative structure and um was very just uh super uh 60s mod uh just got some really cool music and um it just felt uh, just kind of transported me. I would definitely uh, give it a. Um, I'd give it a, th- a three, right? Wow, I feel rusty. Have we? Is that what our ranking is? Threes yeah. are good, right? <laughs> oh my gosh, yeah. Um, I I would uh, for sure give it give it a three, just because it's refreshing and um, and fun and thrilling. So uh, go out and seek it out. All right, uh, I'm going to recommend Kimmy. Directed by Steven Soderbergh and just dropped it on HBO Max earlier this year. I hope I hope Soderbergh just keeps dropping these movies on HBO Max because so far I've liked them all. Uh, starring Zoe Kravitz, uh, very much in a uh, it's like a '70s style detective 
you know, not noir, but uh, very much in the vein of like Clute and uh, movies like that, but trying to solve a, a mystery with a main protagonist. Um, she is a agoraphobic uh, who works for what's basically like um, Alexa. And uh, she goes through people's recordings and stumbles upon a crime. Uh, and it just goes from there. I don't want to give too much away. Uh, it's a tight hour and a half, so you could just knock it out really quick. And this is the movie that made me really realize uh, Zoe Kravitz might actually be a really good actor. Uh, I, I'm not always a big fan of the people of like, well, this is the child of two famous people, and now they just get to act. Well, she is really starting to impress me. Her choreography in The Batman was really good, but she makes these little choices, these little tiny character choices, the way she walks, all these little things she does in this movie uh that makes me it's really impressive she's i'm kind of excited to see what she does next because i'm really realizing how talented she is but i don't know if you like the the old mystery movies like the 60s and 70s and uh you want you got an hour and a half to kill kimmy's really good i give it a three totally yeah i I loved kimmy all right so that's gonna do for this episode uh we are on twitter we are on instagram uh give us a like tell us what you want to hear about uh, come talk to me, mingle with me. Uh, but uh, until next time, I am Spencer Bailey. I'm Chelsea Burnett. We'll see ya. Thanks for listening. The Marquee Spotlight is recorded in Portland with music composed and produced by Josh Colopy and cover art created by Taylor Ingle. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram for updates on new episodes. And if you like the show, please write a review and share with others. 